Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. I wish I could have started this series happier. I wish that that this series actually wasn't as timely as it is. Good presenters usually have a good story that'll grab you in, get you laughing, get you comfortable, all those things like that. But the actual topic here, why God? Not, and again, punctuation is important in the title. I don't know if any of you noticed that. Why God is, let's do a proof as to the existence of God. Why does God, that's not what we're doing here. So if that's what you came for, enjoy the cookies, enjoy the coffee, glad you came. Sit through this, you're welcome. But this is not that question. This is the question of why, God? Why did this happen? Why did I have to endure this? Why in the world am I going through this again? Why in the world is, is this happening over and over and over again? Some of you are here because of the recent events that are in the news. I'm going to go through these real quick, but we can start with the Stanford case, right? A... Um, fairly uncomfortable and appalling situation. We can go to the death of two black men not too long ago. We can go quickly to the death of five police officers in retaliation of that. We can go to the shooting in Orlando. Too many voices, too many lives lost. We can go to the death of a two-year-old playing by the water at an amusement park. And out of nowhere, a complete random act of nature, and his little life is gone. Why? Why, God? Why in the world does this happen? We can talk about the refugee crisis. We can talk about thousands and thousands and millions of lives, women, children, men, who are just trying to live and survive and get food and a safe place to live without being in fear of being butchered or persecuted or hurt or tormented or killed. Last week, 80 dead in France. 80, 80 plus dead in France. Or last night, I had to amend my presentation. We have three more officers in Baton Rouge, gone. This is just the last, what, month and a half, two months. Does it feel like the world is upside down to anyone else? I'm scratching my head. I'm going, what in the world is going on? And what's, again, I don't think it's by chance. I don't think it is circumstance. I've been planning this specific topic for eight months. I've been chewing and thinking and researching and learning and asking and questioning. And then the world gets upside down on its head. But if this isn't enough, if this isn't enough trauma or crisis, are you here for your story? Are you here because your marriage fell apart and you had no desire whatsoever to watch your husband and your wife leave you or take the kids? Are you here because you're trying to figure out why those really uncomfortable circumstances um, and experiences as a child happened? and the scar that it's left on your life permanently for years and years and years to come. Your spouse might have been unfaithful. You're trying to figure out 
why in the world did I get beaten up and bullied and ridiculed and shamed? And why did I live in terror just going to school every day? Why did I get beaten up and bullied and terrorized coming home every day? These might be your stories. I know they're in the room. I know they're in the room. You might be here because you have been doing the church thing or the God thing or the Christianity thing or the spirituality thing and you're going, it just isn't working. What in the heck's going on? Give me something else because I, I, I want some answers but nothing's happening yet. I don't know why you are here specifically. You know why. And I want you to know that number one, I'm so, so, so glad you're here. It takes a lot to get up and come on a Monday night and schedule the time and to come and be here for this. So I'm glad that you're willing to come and sit in the presence of other people who are trying to figure it out. Is it okay if you don't have the answers tonight? Is that, is that gonna be okay? Okay, then I want you to look around. I want you to go, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna expect the answers from the people sitting on either side of me or front or behind me, and they probably aren't gonna need the answers from me. So everyone can just, Okay, we can relax for a second. And we can all go, we're in process, we're in transition, we're trying to figure this out, we're trying to grow, we're trying to be faithful in this, but we're trying to figure it out. This is enough pain for a couple lifetimes. Aren't you glad you came Monday night? Aren't you feeling really warm and fuzzy right now? This is a good way to start a good series, right? Oh, man. Pain causes us to question. It's a natural, common human response to things that, that are uncomfortable. We, we want to know why. We like causality. My back. I have been struggling with a back thing for years now. And I've been to the doctor over and over and over again. And the doctors, they take the, all their fancy pictures, they take the MRIs, they take the scans, and they look at those and they go, we don't see anything that is really bad enough for surgery or anything else like this. And I'm going, then why in the world do I hurt so bad? I want an answer. I want causality. Because why? What does that give me? What does is, what is a cause, what does a, a reason do for us? Anyone want to venture a guess? Course of, Course of action. How do we fix it? Right? Any other reason that we like causality? Ooh, you said the C word. What is that? Control. control. Helps you accept things. Yes. Sometimes. <laughs> On a good day. And pity? Is that what you said? Pity. Tell me more about that real fast. Oh, you're looking for, I'll use a fancier term that a counselor is supposed to use. You're looking for validation. Attention. Attention. It's actually a great way to get attention. It's just go, here's what is wrong. Here's why I'm hurting. We love causality. We like to know what is going wrong with us. But what happens when we don't like the cause I've looked at a lots of, again, scans and stuff of my back, and I got three little things going on, none of which are fixable in and of themselves. Put them all together, and I got a, I got a, a, a trifecta of pain. And it's like, I don't like the answer the doctor gave me. I, I just don't like it. What happens when we don't, when, oh, when we don't know the cause? 
jumped ahead. What happens when we do know the cause, but we don't like what the answer is? What do we do with that then? Any of these sound familiar? Any of these where you guys are at trying to figure out what to do? Anger. We have feelings. Someone else? One more time. Resentment. Resentment towards... Yeah, yeah, pick. Yourself, God, parents, society, the, yeah, just resentment towards the lots. Big one is, again, why God? That's the question we're answering. No matter what precautions we take, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable, and successful, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Can we agree on that fact? Is there anyone that would say, in this world we absolutely can be pain-free guaranteed? Well... The answer was yes, if we have God. We're going we're gonna to work on that question right there, okay? Um, I'm going to make a suggestion that it's going to be a little harder. Even if we have God, Scripture is very, very clear that everyone who followed him had some pretty painful circumstances. Fair enough? We can talk about lots and lots of stories. No matter what precautions we take, something will inevitably ruin it. Isn't this just a warm, fuzzy night? I'm glad you guys came. You guys are going to feel really encouraged coming out of here. I didn't want to do this series. I'll admit that. I didn't want to do this series. I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. We have the stories. We have the stories in the news. You have the stories personally. You will have the stories in the future. They are not going to stop. They're not going to stop. I sat with a client, and he was sharing with me how he, he went through a job transition and finally was able to get a new job, and thought that that process was the hardest thing he was going to face. And within a couple weeks, his entire world fell apart because of um, an illness. And it's like, when he's looking back now on it, he's going, really? I thought I was worried about a job. Now I'm fighting for my life here. I can't believe this. So there's always something that's going to be life is tragic. And it stinks. How many of you are going, stop the world, I want to get off? I, I just, I, I'm done. How many of you have gone recently like I have? Lord, come quickly, come yesterday. What is the point? Why are we doing this anymore? What do we need to be here for anymore? I really don't know what to do with it. It's like the weight, the weight is just becoming heavier and heavier and heavier. And, it, and it's creating, well, creating lots of stuff. We live, oh, that's the theory, by the way, too, okay? That might be the, the mascot of the series. 
Life is pain, your highness. Anyone who says otherwise, selling something. Which, ironically, might not be too far off. Because the people who are saying that you can be pain-free right now, it only costs you how much? And there's a lot of that going around right now. All right, we live in a world of potential harm. Here's the first thing. I have two main things I want you to get from this entire series, this, this seven weeks, okay? The first one is, I want you to have hope. I debated what to call this series. I almost called it hopelessness because that is the, that is the primary emotion I see a lot of people sitting in. This like, I, I actually have lost hope. I've given up any idea that it can get better, even though I hope is the belief that things can and will change. Can have, it is, has the capacity to change. Some of you don't even think the world can change, and, but if it can, but it's not gonna change for me. I hear that a lot actually in my office as a counselor. I hear a lot of people, they have that kind of exception clause going on in their life, which is it's gonna get better for everyone else, but for me, it's hopeless. It's just not going to change. And one of my primary jobs is to help, help my clients challenge that belief. And I, I, I openly, unashamedly go, we gotta get past that limiting belief because if that is stuck, if that is in the way, doesn't matter what evidence you have in front of you, it's not going to stick. And I want, I want good stuff to stick so that you can actually have hope in your life. Active pain makes it incredibly difficult to see alternate endings. Anyone seen the movie um, Inkheart? I really like Inkheart. I've referred to it before. Inkhart's fantastic because it's the story of a guy who, when he reads a story out loud, characters from the story get sucked out of the book into real life, but there has to be an exchange, so one person gets sucked in, and so he's reading the story. He didn't know he had this gift, by the way. It kind of surprised him when he's reading the story. The bad guy pops out of the book, and his wife gets sucked in. And now the story is, he stops reading, and he's got to deal with this bad guy who's in, who's in the world now but ends up that his daughter also has the gift of being able to read people and things out of, out of the book, and the bad guy captures them and trying to, you know, it's a really good kind of movie to give you some suspense, until the end when she's kind of locked up and she's being forced to read this text that is going to make the bad guys, you know, win, win the day. And she goes, wait a second, I have this gift. And so she pulls out a pen or a pen, whatever she had, starts writing on her arm and reading it. And she starts to write a different ending to the story. Talk about a superpower. How many of you sign up for that one? Whatever you write down and read comes true. I'll take that. I'll take that twice. Thank you very much. That and the, um, the, the wish of you can reach in your pocket and anything you want, how you have ex exact change. That is a cool gift, too. <laughs> that would be a great gift. Need a cup of coffee? No problem. Here you go. Need a Lamborghini? No problem. Here you go. <laughs> That's a good gift. I want you to have hope. I want you to have hope. I, in doing this research, that is um, kind of the history from, looks like, 1800s to 2000 and some odd of the use of the word hope in literature. Fascinating, isn't it? I, I didn't even, wasn't even looking for that, but it's like, hey, that's cool. 
Apparently around 1830s or so, that was a good time for hope. And since then, it has started to just decline and decline and decline and go down and down and down until we cratered out where? About the late 80s, 90s? Oh yeah, the 90s. How many of you were born late 80s, 90s? That's, yeah, welcome to the world. There's no hope. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Man, not only do I want you to have hope, I want you to find and hang on to hope even in the midst of deeply painful experiences. As a counselor, the frustration I have is, is I cannot stop the painful experiences. I would also sign up for that superpower. Man, that would be nice. I can't promise you that. I can't promise that your world's going to be easier. I can't promise your world's going to have less pain. I want to. As a counselor, I, I struggle with that sometimes because I hear tragic stories and it's like, I want to take your pain away and I can't. I got my own to deal with. But I want you to be able to go through your pain without losing hope because when you have that hope, you go through your pain much differently. I want you to be able to find that, hold on to it, Feel it, not just know it. I want you to experience it. That, that would be a good day. And if you walk out of here seven weeks from now going, I have a little bit of that, I'm going to call it good. <sighs> um, I'm here tonight, I'm teaching this series. I said that I didn't actually want to do this series. I'm here because like most of the series that I have taught on. The first one I taught was Failure 101. Anyone here for Failure 101 way back in the day? Like four of you. Okay, might be able to recycle that one next time. Um, I taught that series because I was struggling with how to overcome failure, how to, this failure in my life is, is limiting me and keeping me stuck and I'm incredibly burdened by it. So the best way to learn about it is to teach about it. So I did a lot of research and I had to start growing in it myself. So uh, actually, summer series about therapy for me. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you. I'll have to figure out how to pay you later. But um, I'm doing this series because last year, 2015, was probably one of the hardest years I've ever experienced in my life. Um, profound experiences of, of pain, confusion, frustration, anger, um, injustice. Um, my body was feeling some of it. My heart was dramatically feeling some of it. It was not a good year for me. And the, the not the crisis, but the, the culmination kind of ebbed its way through about last September. And it's still kind of working its way out of my system. I've only, it's what, July now? And I'm still feeling remnants of it on bad days. Good days, I'm doing okay. But it has taken months and months and months for the feelings, for the experience, for the fear, for the somatic reactions in my body to kind of mellow down. I can't speed that up, and I wish I could but I can't. But the very, the, the thing that I had to ask myself, um, I found myself asking the question, this isn't how my life is supposed to be. My life is supposed to be different. My life is supposed to be what? Happy, peaceful, content, fulfilled. 
and my life isn't that. And I had to seriously start asking the question is, um, how did I come to that conclusion? What I came to conclude both personally and professionally as I sit with clients day in, day out, is that my expectations of life, or more accurately, my expectations of God, determine how I experience and move through painful experiences. I'm going to say that again. My expectations of life, and actually more accurately, my expectations of God, what he owes me, determine how I experience and move through painful experiences. I had to evaluate myself. Now, the circumstances that were causing the, the pain in my life were external. I didn't have control over them. That control word that came from this part of the room right here, it'd be nice if I had that control. How many of you would like that control? How many would really, you know, again, that's the superpower you want. You can control things in your life. Didn't have it. But I had to come to the conclusion, I had to admit that my expectations were actually making my process going through the pain harder. I had to take the responsibility of that. And that is where we're gonna land on today. I had to ask the question, where did my expectations of God and life actually come from? Where did I get them? Because if I have these expectations that my life should be good, happy, pain-free, easy, pleasant, fulfilled, and those, those expectations I feel entitled to, but now they're not happening, Somebody owes me big. It's like, okay, who's falling down on the job? Where, where's the complaint department? Where's the box that I put that card in and say, I want better customer service? But it doesn't happen. It just doesn't show up. And so where did my expectations of God and life come from? And so the second thing in this series is I want you to know your worldview. Because my expectations in my life came from my worldview. How I explain the world around me, how I explain problems, how I explain good things, all of that. And I, and I, had, to, I had to examine and go, what is my worldview? Because that is, that's tainting how I go through this. And I want you to know your worldview. I want you to know what it is and have a way to actually describe it um, so you can have good conversations. The reason it's so important to know your worldview is because um, it's a filter. Every piece of information, every experience you have, good or bad, goes through this worldview. And if you are ignorant of the filter that you have on, you are going to see the world skewed, sort of like that camera. Any photographers in the room? Does that even work? <laughs> There's like 42 little lens filters on there. I'm not so sure what you're gonna get a picture of, but that's actually probably not that inaccurate because what trauma does, what life experiences do is it actually puts another filter into your life as you go into future experiences. So again, my specialty as I work with clients is around childhood abuse and trauma and things like that. And those events are profoundly altering and shape how you view your world. And so when you have that experience as a six-year-old, you throw a filter on the camera lens. And now you look to the, look to the world through that. And then another painful experience. So you screw another lens filter on there and you look at the world through that. And until you start to actually examine the, the glasses, the, the, the filters you're looking at the world through, you might not be actually seeing the world accurately. 
I want you to get as accurate a picture of the world around you, but that happens by, by examining our filters, our worldview. Everyone tracking with me? Is this making sense? My painful experience came from my expectations of the world. Your painful experiences, again, a lot of those are probably external to you, but the way you move through them comes from the way you view the world. And as a counselor, again, I, I, I actually spend a lot of time talking about worldview with people. Why do you want what you want? Why do you expect to have that? How do you get that? Is that even reasonable? Is that even possible? There are three main worldviews. That's we're going to talk about three main worldviews today. Okay? There's football. That's one worldview. There's Calvin Ball. Okay? That's another worldview. And then there is the game of chess. How many of you know where you're at already? How many of you know where you want to be? No. All right, buckle up. You ready? Questions so far? Any about any of this before we kind of jump into the meat of the night? We've just warmed up now, so we're going to get started. No questions? Oh, easy crowd. Easy crowd, easy crowd, easy crowd. All right, here's how this works. Um, there are three kind of main time frames. And what does a worldview do? What is, the, what is the question a worldview answers? Anyone have a guess? Okay, purpose, that's a great question, that's a great answer. Okay, what else? What does, a, what does it answer? Oh, good, I get to teach you something. Who am I? Who am I? Um, close, close, I think there's even a, a little broader answer. Before we answer that question, there's gonna be, let's, let's pick the time frames first. Anyone know what kind of time we're living in? What kind of age they call this? We are living in the blank, blank age. Postmodern, thank you very much. Postmodern. We're living in the postmodern age. Does that sound familiar? You guys have heard that term thrown around? You know what it means? We're well, going to find out tonight. It's going to be really, really fun. Um, uh, English lesson here. Post means what? So, commonsensically, the middle one is? Thank you very much. And um, if we're going to also be real easy, the one before that would be? How about that? Pre modern. <laughs> Easy class, okay? This is one of those that you can just kind of let someone else take notes and you can still get an A. Got it. Um, you could actually call pre-modern um, medieval. How about that? Medieval times. Let's talk about the pre-modern time first. This is going to be um, time frame. It was prior to the 1650s, okay? Um, what happened around that time? Anyone know? What was the kind of the big, the big thing happening around that time? Uh, plague, yeah, there's a lot of death and dying and then falling critters and stuff like that. Um, um, what was it? Catholicism. Catholicism. Hey, that's actually good. We're going to get to that in just a second. Um, a guy showed up um, who got really popular. His name was Galileo. Anyone know what Galileo did? Say again. He argued that we are no longer living in a heliocentric world, that the earth is the center of the universe. He said, no, the sun is the center of the universe. And what happened? They killed him. Actually, no, they didn't kill him. They were nice. They let him live. They excommunicated him, and they put him under house arrest for the rest of his life. Nice. Or he did a lot of writing, you know, 
surf the web, those kinds of things. That's, that's kind of what he did. Um, the question, the question that worldviews answer is where does truth come from? What is true? That is the question that every age is trying to answer. That's going to get annoying. <laughs> so, pre-modern, where was truth found? How did you know what was true? Okay? Truth was in the supernatural, or God, or scripture. In the medieval times, why did your crops die? Because someone put a curse on them. And you had to get the chicken, and you had to wave it over the thing, and you had to say the right words, and then your crops would grow back. There was a spiritual, supernatural approach to truth. Now, there was also a keeper of the truth. Who was the keeper of the truth? And this is where you say your answer in the back. Spiritual leaders or the church, predominantly in the Western kind of society, that would be, yeah, the Roman Catholic Church. That was, that was the keeper of the truth. And in that age, how many, how many people were reading commonly? Not many. How many had access to, to actual scripture that they could read themselves and download and do cross-references? Nobody. So the, tr- the church, the priests, the, 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 the church itself, the spiritual leaders were the keepers of the truth. And not just spiritual truths, but scientific truth, truth about the world. Again, why did Galileo get kicked out? Because he disagreed with the church. The church said, here is how the universe works. They were the keepers of the truth. Now, what's the cause of evil? Again, I talked about it. The supernatural forces. Your, your crops die. Um, you're cursed. You, you, and again, we can even take it out of the Western world. We can put it into other um, uh, parts of the world where there's still that mysticism. There's still that supernatural component. A lot of that's still active today in those, in those parts of the world. Um, but truth is, is found in the supernatural now, if you take it to the dangerous extremes, we have the Crusades. Remember those? That is the, we want to convert you. We want you to have our religion, and we're going we're gonna to not use the four laws or a tract. We're going to use a sword, and we're going to put it to your, to your throat. Are you now a Christian? The answer is only, was only one answer. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to die. And so the Crusades, I mean, that is taken to the extremes and when you are trying to force a supernatural or spiritual truth and control the rest of the world around there in the name of God. That's, that's kind of a mess. Um, and that's what I call football. That's going to make sense in a minute, okay? But that's the worldview of football. Um, let's go to modern. Modern, anyone know what the modern age, you know the first date is, 1650 through... Hey, what'd you say? 40s. 40s. Actually, about the 50s, okay? Um, right after, right around World War II, now there's some soft dates, actually around the mid-30s is when they said. But that age, the modern age, has lasted a, a, a long time up until some of the lives, there's some people still alive right now. My dad is born in 35, so he's seen this kind of massive transformation in, in the whole society because he was born squarely in the, in the modern age. So where is truth found in the modern age? Yeah, natural world, science. Can it be measured? This is what Galileo did. He said, the math doesn't add up. 
the earth in the center of the, of the universe, it doesn't, it doesn't account for the orbiting and again, what mathematicians do, it just doesn't make sense. And so can it be measured? That now became the source of truth. What other guys show up in the scientific age trying to explain how life starts and how we got here and all those things? Isaac Newton, absolutely. Darwin. Darwin. We have lots of those guys who are going, here is the origin of life, and this is where truth is found. Truth is no longer found in a book. Truth is no, founder, no longer found in a spiritual nature. Truth is found in what can be measured. Truth keepers, scientists, and actually governments, because this is where you move into a, a patriotism. This is where the government um, gives you that purpose. This is, again, the people going into wars is going, I'll go to war for my country. Does that sound familiar nowadays? That doesn't sound quite as common anymore. Truth keepers, scientists and governments. And then the cause of evil, where does evil come from? It's just genetics, it's just evolution. It is natural law. It is survival of the fittest. That's where bad comes from. It's nothing, there's nothing inherently premeditated about it. It just happens. What would the, um, the modern philosophy taken to extremes be? Anyone have a guess? Yeah, very good. Hitler, Nazis, Holocaust. Because that was the mentality of Germans, blonde hair, blue eye, are genetically superior and we have a right. We, in fact, it's, we have a duty to get rid of the inferior races on the planet so that we can populate with a better breed of human being, which now gets scary. And that's going to be chess. Okay? That's the worldview of chess. And now we move into postmodern. So postmodern is obviously after World War II to current. We are living in the postmodern age. Where's truth found nowadays? The internet. Yes, Google. Google is the source of all truth. Personal experience. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. We need to just respect that. That it's personal experience. It's no longer measured. It's no longer objective. It is highly subjective. Okay? Who are the truth keepers? Yeah, everyone. You guys are getting good at this. Or no one. Truth is actually unknowable. We don't know what the truth is. Can you even know the truth? Why, why even ask? What does it matter? If it's my truth and it works for me, then that should be good, isn't it? I mean, aren't you happy for me? Cause of evil? Everybody else. Everybody else. <laughs> because their truth is wrong. <laughs> The 1%. Oh, see, that's good. That's right. The group of eight guys who are controlling everything in the world. It's their fault. No. Um, lack of tolerance typically is a, a really good excuse for here's why it's bad. You're not, you're not accepting me for how I am. You're not loving me just the way I am. And so because you're intolerant, that's why bad things are happening right now. Um, Taken to an extreme... What do you think it's going to be? <laughs> right now. Back to the beginning of the presentation. Um, unknown yet. How many of you thought um, Orlando was kind of 
Can it get any worse than that? 50 dead. We don't know how bad it's going to get. We don't know, which is, again, scary. Scary. I have a question. Yes. Uh, for the, the postmodern concept, there seems to be an inconsistency there because you have some people and they will go to medical science and they value that. Right. But then they still are maintaining a personal truth. Yes. So is this, is this a prevailing or <clears throat> generalized cultural belief and there are still, and you can see during the modern era, there are still people that have very unscientific views. Yes. Uh, these are, this is a general explanation of kind of the, the society in general. And even within that society, people are highly inconsistent. So you can have a lot of people right now who are going, my truth is my truth. But the people who shot those cops are wrong. How can you actually say that? Because if we're truly tolerant, do you see where this goes? Do you see how it starts to break down very, very quickly? And it gets actually scarier and scarier because, because in a postmodern world, how can we actually ascribe consequences? And so people start to live this incongruence, which says, I want freedom for me. I want my truth to be my truth and for you guys to just accept it. But I want to also be able to impose objective right and wrong on somebody else. That is an incongruent, that's inconsistent, and actually leads to frustration, hurt, and pain as you go through difficult things in your life. See where we're going with this thing tonight? We have to examine what worldview we live in. Now, some of you, well, hold on. What's the postmodern, um, how we got football, chess, and? So, little pop quiz. My daughter can't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. Uh, Calvin Ball. Why do I call him those three things? A little odd. Um, football. Football represents objective truth. If you're going to be a football player, you inherently agree to play by the football rules. Does that make sense? If you are going and you're going, okay, it's fourth down, we still got six yards to go. You know what? I think we should get two more attempts. Everyone okay with that, guys? That sound all right? Can we, can we go for that? Are you playing football anymore? No. If you step out and then step back in, are you playing football anymore? No. Um, how many football, if you're a football player, you agree to say, I will let somebody else, they wear a striped jersey and they carry a whistle around, to tell me when I am wrong. I submit to that objective rules, and I don't get to make up my rules along the way. Does that make sense? And so there's a lot of people who, are, who think they're playing football, but they want to change the rules all the time. They're not actually playing football. They, they say they want to submit themselves to an objective truth, written rules, and, but they want to ignore some of the rules. Again, I'm going to argue that inconsistency, that, that incongruity, creates internal stress, creates a struggle, and it, and it actually makes it harder to answer the bigger, more painful uh, questions in life. Football. Chess. Modern world. Anyone play chess in here? And is anyone like a really good chess player, like uber good? That's a sport. Is it a sport? Is it a hobby? Is it a... I don't get chess. Because they have books that are 700 pages thick. 
And it is, okay, if this pawn moves here, oh, that's called the Rogerian move. And if you move this pawn over here uh, and then turn it sideways, this is called some other move. And if he does that, then 14 moves down the other the way, you're gonna wanna move this guy. And they, good chess players, memorize. That's all they do, is that right? You play chess? You just, you kinda know? Not that well. Okay. <laughs> Talk about, a, what's on Netflix? I mean, good grief, who's playing <laughs> chess? It drives me crazy. Chess is very calculated. Chess is very strategic and there isn't a lot of objectivity um, or subjectivity to it. It's about memorization, it's about rote, it's about strategy. And it's about who can, who can execute pre-planned strategies, memorized strategies, flawlessly. And what's really scary is you have these two guys who are playing for hours and hours and one of them moves it just to the wrong spot. And again, you ever listen to commentators for chess? Again, talk about a weird job. <laughs> there he goes, he moved it another square. Wow, everyone, the whole crowd's gone silent on that one. Can't believe that. But they'll go, oh my gosh, he moved it to that square. That's it, game's done. I can't believe it. And I'm going, <laughs> how do they know that? because they've got the book memorized. So that's chess, science is kind of this chess. Calvin ball, anyone not know what Calvin ball is? Awesome, okay. <laughs> One of my favorites. Um, okay, don't say anything. Anyone, is anyone else in this room can finish that sentence? Ollie Wally Pollywog. oh. <laughs> this is how weird our family is. My, how many years ago? 15 years ago, my um, parents bought me a boxed, hardbound set of Calvin and Hobbes, all of them. Um, 150 bucks. It's a beautiful set, gorgeous, gorgeous set of Calvin and Hobbes. I really, really like Calvin and Hobbes. And um, I kept them pristine. They were gorgeous. They the, wipe off the dust off the top, put the jacket over it, kind of all that stuff. And then my kids started getting older and they started pulling the books out and I was the quickly to go, nope, nope, you don't, don't read that because you're gonna, you know, you're little kids, you're gonna get the pages, you're gonna bend the pages, you're gonna mess it up, I don't want you, don't, don't break the books. And my wife kindly said, honey, they're comic books. They're supposed <laughs> to be read by kids. And so I took a deep breath and I made a decision that says, okay, I'll let my kids read these, and if they break the binding or if they tear a page, I'm gonna have to be okay with that. You should see those books now. The covers are gone. I'm not sure they even exist anymore. There is jelly in between every other page. <laughs> Pages are falling out. We find them all over the place, under the couches and stuff like that. They have read them 100,000 times, and I love them even more because my kids can quote them they can say them. And so in my family, if you go Ollie Wally Pollywog, you'll hear that's the only response that goes to it. <laughs> Ollie Wally Pollywog, ump bump fizz. And that comes from this cartoon right here from Calvin and Hobbes. I zoomed in on for it. So it starts off with Ollie Wally Pollywog, ump bump fizz. And Calvin, Hobbes goes, hey. And then, ha ha, I stole your flag. But I hit you with the Calvin ball. You have to put the flag back and sing the I'm very sorry song. I don't have to sing the song. I was in the no song zone. <laughs> no, you weren't. I touched the opposite pole, so the no song zone is now a song zone. <laughs> I didn't see you touch the opposite pole. You have to declare it. I declared it oppositely. <laughs> By not declaring it, start singing. 
Here's a very, so very sorry song, won't you help him sing along? Bum, bum, bum. I blew it, he's sorry, I blew it, so sorry. I'm very, very sorry that I took your precious flag. Just don't do it anymore, you scurvy scallywag. This is the, the genius of Bill Watterson. I'm free, I get free passage to Wicket 5. No, that's what we did last time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, okay, the new rule is we have to jump everywhere until someone finds the bonus box. That's a good idea. And then he explains the rules. The only permanent rule in Calvin Ball is that you can't play it the same way twice. So the score is Q to 12. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> Calvin Ball, the perfect example of there are no rules. And so I can change them as I need, and I can play around with them. And this is a running gag in the whole series. It was really good when Rosalind, who Rosalind is the, the babysitter, gets in on the game, and she's kind of getting worked over until she realizes the rules, and then spins it around. It's, just, it's a great running gag. Calvin Ball, it, it describes postmodernism in, in ways that just only Bill Watterson could have done in the 80s. So it's just, it's fantastic, fantastic. So, question for you. Are you a postmodernist? Are you a modernist? Or are you a pre-modernist or a medieval? Where does your source of truth come from? Do you predominantly live your life saying, this is my truth and I'm going to live the way that I want to in any objective set of truth out there? I don't have to obey, or if there isn't an objective source of truth, I'm only going to pick the pieces that I want to pick, and I'm going to ignore the rest. Okay, there's some who live that way. There's some people going, you know what, as long as if it can be measured, you know, we're all just hairless apes right now, and this is how the world goes, and this is what nature is taking its course. I don't know where you're at, but take an internal evaluation of where you might be personally, what this looks like for you. Because... Well, I'll tell you why in a minute. You want to see some more examples of this, how this plays out. We're going to do a little pop quiz as we go through the night because I want you to get really, really good at recognizing this. When you start to get these three categories, you're going to start to see it everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So let's look at some quick spots here, uh, quick media. So here's some samples. Um... Any problems, sir? You just hit this button. Thank you. On behalf of my ministry and the future of unanimity, I would like to thank you for this final interview. Remember, this is not an interrogation or a trial. Your version of the truth is all that matters. Truth is singular. Its versions are mistruths. Movie's called Cloud Atlas. Anyone seen it? Anyone seen it more than once? It took me three times to figure out what the heck was going on with that movie. It's a tough one. I mean, it is, it's a head scratcher. Uh, Cloud Atlas. Uh, Tom Hanks is in it. A um, couple other good folks. What two worldviews did you see talking to each other right there? Who's postmodern? Yep, give me your version of the truth, coming from a postmodern state, and she responds with what? Yep, there, there is no versions of the truth, there's only one truth. There's an objective truth. 
And anything outside of that isn't truth at all. This happens all the time. One of the principles we're going to talk about here is <laughs> one of the things that's going to be really, really important is when you, um, when you have two people who are talking, if you do not have people talk, playing the same game, this is why you have so much struggle in the communication. This is why you have such a hard time because one person is, is uh, espousing a postmodern postmodern way of approaching the world and someone else is saying, yeah, but I'm coming at it from a very modern time and if we don't even agree on the terms, how can you have a productive conversation? This is why it's so incredibly important to know what worldview you come from and once you know that, now it's even easier, it's even better, it's even possible to sit with someone else who doesn't have your same worldview and have a productive conversation. Because at least you know where you're coming from and you recognize, okay, we're, we're not, you're playing basketball and I'm playing football. No wonder we're not agreeing on the rules here. Let's, let's get on the same court. Let's get on the same game and then now we can actually have a productive conversation. I, I, I want people to have productive conversations about this. So you have two people right here who don't even agree on, on the worldview. Um, same movie, later in the movie. Um, this one's not subtitled, but you should be able to hear it. Can you turn it up? Is anyone up there? Ah, good God. I've just been recounting your astonishing adventure. Please join us. Get him a chair. Uh, no, 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 thank you. I, I cannot stay. Oh, what are you doing here? I thought the doctor said at least three weeks in bed. He did, but this couldn't wait. I need to speak with you, sir. Privately, of course. Father-in-law, son-in-law. Son-in-law was hired to go to the New World and get a contract to um, uh, import slaves. Is that the contract from Reverend Horrocks? That's the contract. It is indeed. Well, you know, I could have sent a boy. Are you insane? I owe my life to a self-freed slave. And I cannot, in good conscience, participate in this kind of business any longer. God damn you, sir, if you are not my daughter's husband. Hello, father. Tilda. What is going on? I've come to say goodbye. Goodbye? Where are you going? We're moving back east to work with the abolitionists. <laughs> what? Poison has rotted your brain. Oh, if it has, I highly recommend it. I've not felt this good in years. Tilda, I forbid you from going anywhere with this madman. I've been afraid of you my whole life, Father. I'm going with my husband. Adam. Listen to me, for the sake of my grandson, if not your own, there is a natural order to this world, and those who try to upend it do not fare well. There is a natural order to this world, and those who try to upend it do not fare well. Where is he coming from? Very modern. That belief system, that thinking, fueled the slave trade for years, decades, a long time.
long time. Modern is based upon a belief that there's a natural order. It's based upon, it's a belief. It's a, it's a belief, but it's based upon, um, again, science, um, non-subjective things. And so back in that day, they believed black slaves were inferior to white men, and that black slaves were content. They actually enjoyed serving that's, that's what they genuinely believed, and that's what justified a lot of their actions, based, again, upon a, a naturalistic approach but to the world. But that is a, a belief that is not objective. You know, uh, that the black, You're right. The race isn't inferior, so therefore that's not a scientific. So but they, but they use the scientific methodology to try to prove it. You're right. It, their science broke down. We're able to objectively recognize that now, but it's still a belief system, but they are using the natural order as a justification. That's where I'm going. Does that make sense? Um, recent movie that uses um, science as a, a solution to the world is Interstellar. Anyone see that one? Again, another one that you had to watch a couple times because it gets kind of quantum physics-y somewhere in there. But what's the problem they're facing at Interstellar? Anyone seen, anyone seen the movie? It's Matthew McConaughey. I figured at least a couple more people. Why is it the end of the world? It's kind of like a climate change. Like nature is not working. Exactly. So this world, yep, this world's falling apart. So what's the solution? Find a new world. Again. A natural solution, get in, a, get in a ship, fly far, far away, find somewhere else that's inhabitable. They're not praying for more help, and they're not going, well, again, my truth is my truth, and we're going we're gonna to find a way. To, they're not approaching it that way. It's a very um, natural, very scientific approach. That's the whole premise of the movie. By the way, that whole movie is just a ripoff of an older movie. Anyone see that one? Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Jude Law and who played Pepper Potts? Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah. Kind of a real uh, artsy kind of film, not the best in the world, but it's exact same. And if you've seen Interstellar, this is just that set in the, in the 40s, in the 30s, I mean, it's pretty good. Um, Postmodernism, one of its favorite things to do right now is redefine good and evil. You notice that in media? It's really fantastic. It started with my favorite movies. I have kind of a list of my top 10. This movie is absolutely at the top of my favorite movie. Yeah, you just stay here. They usually pick up the garbage in an hour. Brilliant. This is about a five minute clip, so just enjoy it. I still got time. Well, with counseling, I think you'll come to forgive me. Wait a minute. I'm going to use that line.
bon voyage. Ah, Monsieur Incroyable! And Incrediboy! Incrediboy? Hey, hey, aren't you curious about how I get around so fast? See, I have these rocket boots. Go They're home, buddy. What? Now. Can we talk? You always, always say be true to yourself, but you never say which part of yourself to be true to. Well, I've finally figured out who I am. I am your ward. Incrediboy! And now you have officially carried it too far, buddy. Oh! This is because I don't have powers, isn't it? Well, not every superhero has powers, you know. You can be super without them. I invented these. I can fly. Can you fly? Fly home, buddy. I work alone. Oui, et ta tenue est complètement ridicule! Just, just give me one chance. I'll show you. I'll go get the police. Oh, buddy, oh. go! It'll only take a second, really. No, stop! There's a bomb! Oh, oh I let go! You're wrecking my flight matter! I can do this! We need to shoot the gun! Take this one home, and make sure his mom knows what he's been doing. I can help you! You're making a mistake! The injured jumper. You sent paramedics? They've already picked him up. The blast in that building was caused by Bomb Voyage, who I caught in the act of robbing the vault. Now, we might be able to nab him if we set up a perimeter. You mean he got away? Well, yeah. Skippy here made sure of that. Incredible! You're not affiliated with me! Holy smokes, I'm late. Uh, listen, I've got to be somewhere. But, but what about Bomb Voyage? Any other night, I'd go after him myself, but I've really got to go. But don't worry, we'll get him, eventually! Hey, is the night still young? You're very late. How do I look? Good? Oh, the mask. You still got the mask. Showtime. Robert Parr, will you have this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? You're late. When you, you asked me if I was doing anything later, I didn't realize you'd actually forgotten. I thought it was playful banter. It was playful banter. Cutting it kind of close, don't you think? You need to be more flexible. I love you, but if we're gonna make this work, you gotta be more than Mr. Incredible. You know that, don't you? So long as you both shall live. I do. I pronounce this couple husband and wife. As long as we both shall live, no matter what happens. Hey, come on. We're superheroes. What could happen? In a stunning turn of events, a superhero is being sued for saving someone who apparently didn't want to be saved. The plaintiff, Oliver Sansweet, who was foiled in his attempted suicide by Mr. Incredible, has filed suit against the famed superhero in Superior Court. Mr. Sansweet didn't ask to be saved. Mr. Sansweet didn't want to be saved. And the injury received from Mr. Incredible's actions, so-called, causes him daily pain. Hey, I saved your life! You didn't save my life, you ruined my death! That's what you're Listen, my client has no further comment at this time. Five days later, another suit was filed by the victims of the L-Train accident. Incredible's court losses cost the government millions. 
and open the floodgates for dozens of superhero lawsuits the world over. It is time for their secret identity to become their only identity. Time for them to join us or go away. Under tremendous public pressure and the crushing financial burden of an ever-mounting series of lawsuits, the government quietly initiated the superhero relocation program. The supers would be granted amnesty from responsibility for past actions in exchange for the promise to never again resume hero work. Where are they now? They are living among us. Average citizens, average heroes, quietly and anonymously continuing to make the world a better place. What worldview is that? Postmodern. Why is it postmodern? Yep. And in reality, that is the ultimate freedom. You didn't save my life. You ruined my death. If I want to die, I have the freedom to do that, and no one else is allowed to tell me differently. Now, again, it's an it's a animated movie. It's brilliant in many other ways for this. But the, the message that it sends is this incredibly strong postmodern approach to superheroes. Before, before this movie, superheroes were just superheroes, and what they did was good, and they had to, you know, stop someone from falling into the vat of toxic goo and, you know, ending the world. Good and bad was much clearer, and this was the first one that says, wait a second, a superhero can be challenged now, and because, because his good deeds might not be good deeds. This opened the floodgate. And you, lots and lots of other places. Um, recent movie, same theme, right? Batman versus Superman. Who's the bad guy? <laughs> Who's the bad guy? See, we're all going, huh? I'm not sure anymore. Welcome to the postmodern world. Are they both bad guys? Are they both good guys? Should they just get along and have coffee at Starbucks? I mean, what's the deal here? In this movie, they make Superman the bad guy. And who's the bad guy? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the premise of the movie is there's this, now this alien, he has all these powers and he's going around unchecked and what if he starts to exhibit all this on, on us and so Superman is no longer trusted to be or to act in, in, in a magnanimous sort of um, behavior towards the world. And so we gotta do something to put him under check. Who decides to put him under check? Batman. And now you have a $115 million movie. That's how it works. Um, this trend in making bad guys good guys and good guys bad guys, we see it in other places. Um, anyone see that movie? Maleficent. Fantastic retelling of Sleeping Beauty, right? I actually really enjoyed it because how many have not seen Maleficent? Okay, oh man, wow, seriously? I'm gonna have to give you cinema homework because, spoiler alert for about 90% of you right here, but in the original version of Sleeping Beauty, who wakes up Sleeping Beauty with the kiss? 
Who wakes up Sleeping Beauty with the kiss in this movie? The bad girl, the bad guy, supposedly. But because we have now backstory and we understand why she got this way and all this other stuff, and we tell all this amazing, and again, I actually enjoyed the movie, it makes the bad guy, this, this kind of two-dimensional bad guy, have depth to her, more complex. And so we're now scratching our head going, now, who's the bad guy? And in the movie here, the bad guy is, is Sleeping Beauty's father. And he's pretty ruthless. Um, this I might get in trouble for saying, but this um, follows under it as well. Right? How many seen that? I haven't seen it, so I... I, I I know the premise of it, I read the book, but I have never seen the, the theater. But who's the, who's the good guy? Who's the protagonist in that? Anyone know? Elphaba, which is a different name for Wicked Witch of the West. Again, we have her backstory. She's no longer the bad guy, she's now the good guy. And who's, and who's, who's the bad guy in the, in the story? It gets all just turned upside down and confusing. Uh, most recent one right now, Captain American Civil War, right? The whole premise is about bureaucracy, and here's, here's these superheroes who have all these amazing tech and powers, and now they're running around unchecked. We have to put them in check um, because we don't want, we don't want them to, to impose themselves on, on other countries or on other people's lives. So we need to go through bureaucracy before they can help people. That's, that's the premise of it. Because again, we do not want to impose on somebody else. And so one guy, Captain America, says, you're nuts. I'm not signing that document that agrees to that. And again, I don't know what the dollar amount on that one is, but I've seen it twice, so they got some of my money. Stink. Um, one last video, kind of watching how this plays out, this postmodern approach to life plays out. Watch this one. Aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression. I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions, just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, 
probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? So. Somehow he got these people to agree that he's a seven-year-old, six-foot-five Chinese woman in first grade. Who should be allowed to be in first grade? Did you see the distress on the people's reactions? Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you very, very intentionally here because I know some of the topics that were brought up in there are very sensitive. They're very hot um, both personally for people in the room, for society in general, I want you to look past the topics itself and I want you to look at how they handled the topics. Can you, can you do that for just a second? We're going to look past the actual topic itself. And you could watch the distress. You could watch the people go, standing in front of me is a white guy and calling him a Chinese woman. That doesn't, that doesn't they, they all paused, they all stumbled, they all questioned, but then they proceeded. That internal distress, that, that incongruence, that struggle, I think, is, is tangible enough to create legitimate distress in the midst of much worse situations. Because the, the one gal, I wish I could rewind it and go back to it, the one gal who says, who am I as a human being to tell another human being what is wrong? How do you say that to the Stanford rape victim? How do we... We can't convict, we can't convict your rapist because who am I to tell them that they're wrong? Who am I to tell you that your father, as he molested you every night, was wrong? If it was his truth, do you see where this goes? Do you see the conundrum we get stuck in and how that creates distress and how that creates uh, turmoil within us? And I, and I, and I know that this topic is probably not popular. This is some of the trepidation I had. And so I, I want to go as carefully and respectfully as possible, but I want to have a legitimate dialogue around this because this plays into how we move through pain. 
And I want us to become congruent. I want us to become um, consistent within us, which says, if I'm going to hold somebody else accountable for their bad behavior, am I allowed to be held accountable for my bad behavior? And who's allowed to tell me? Will I submit to that? And those are big questions. And those aren't popular to say right now. Those are not popular to say at all. But I think we're watching and seeing the consequences of postmodernism played out. Because if someone's really pissed off at the cops, I can take whatever action I want to to demonstrate that. Now, I know it's probably going to end my life, but I'm justified in doing that. And I don't know if it's helpful to sit by quietly. Again, it's painful, and we have, to, we have to have this conversation respectfully and intentionally. What I want to do is talk to Ben and say, Ben, come host a nice big dinner, and let's just sit and let's talk for half a day, and let's, let's, just, let's have these conversations, and let's listen, and let's ask legitimate questions and struggle through this together. I wish I had concrete answers for all of this, but I think I have some um, answers which, again, if you're willing to wrestle with these with me, um, I want to get to a place, again, offers hope. Even in the midst of a painful world, offers hope. That's what, that's what I'm hoping for. Again, I'll take for one little nugget. <sighs> yes. Can I what? That's a great question. Um, Hey! <laughs> now we know where all the truth comes from in this world. I just Googled six foot five Chinese woman. You're welcome. <laughs> Holy cow, that's super funny. Thank you for proving my point. <laughs> Where do my expectations of God and life come from? That's why I'm doing this series. I had to ask that question of myself. I want you to ask that question of you. Where do your expectations of God and life come from? Now, postmodernism has the strongest influence because we are living in it right now. We can't escape it. It's in our cinema. It's in our movies. It's in Netflix that we watch. It's on the radio. We're going to um, listen to some music next week that's going to talk massive postmodernism all over the place into it. You're never going to listen to the radio the same ever again. Pandora is going to be ruined for you. Um, it has the greatest influence on our life right now. Um, and I'm going to suggest, this is my premise that I want to work on the rest of tonight and throughout this series. Postmodernism has created unrealistic and impossible expectations of God this world, and ourselves, okay? Postmodernism, that approach to finding truth, that's what I mean by that, has created unrealistic and impossible expectations of God, this world, and ourselves. That's a big statement to make, but I'm saying it very clearly black and white. Dis disappointed expectations lead to pain and sorrow. I listen to them all the time of, I, I, I really wished it turned out this way and it didn't turn out the way that I hoped and so now I'm sitting in grief and sorrow and loss and anger and frustration. So those, when you have, when you have expectations that are inappropriate based upon the culture that you're sitting in, it almost kind of puts us behind the eight ball already. So again, I want us to be incredibly clear about what are our, our expectations that are unsaid at the moment. Um, the post 
modern mantra is, I'll do it my way. Again, my truth is my truth. My personal happiness is the primary de determinant of truth. My happiness. That statement right there, happiness determines truth, is actually what we're going to talk about in week two. That's the entire week two. Is that a true statement? Can that be supported? What does it look like if that is how you're going through life, if happiness is your truth? There's a song about that, isn't there? Sound familiar? We're going to cover that in week two. Um, Postmodernism lacks condemnation. That's a painful thing to say, but I think it's important in this world. I think we actually need condemnation of behaviors and things that are condemnable, that are not good. I think there needs to be accountability. I think there needs to be consequences. I think that is what is necessary for this, for this world to function differently than what it is right now. The expectation that I should be able to live my life according to my own truth and be happy will always lead to more pain than necessary because the world does not actually operate according to those principles. I'm going to say that one again because I don't have it up there. I should, the expectation that I should be able to live my life according to my own truth and be happy will always, and again, I'm coming down firmly on that, will always lead to more pain than necessary because the world does not actually operate according to those principles. It's not how it plays out. It's not how it's been designed. So, tonight and this series is actually about challenging a postmodernistic approach to life. Again, because we live in that age, it has the greatest influence on us, and the expectations that it creates on us creates extra distress. Not, not all of it, but creates how we, expectations how we move through pain. And I want us to be just very, very aware of that. I want you to have more attainable goals than just your full-time happiness and pain-free living. Again, as a counselor, man, Number one, I would charge more if I could offer that. And number two, I, I would sleep better at night if I knew that I could take away people's pain because people's pain is sacred. It's valuable. It's precious. It's not something to be wasted. It's not something to be easily dismissed and explained away. That's not what we're doing in here. That's not what we're doing at all but I believe the goal of full-time happiness and pain-free living is unrealistic. And that expectation creates more problems than solutions. I want you to find peace. Peace is congruence. What's happening on the inside is now lined up with what's on the outside. Conflict is when you feel something inside and what's on the outside is not showing up. It's, it's that that one clip of uh, the guy who was getting the contract for slaves and the daughter who said what to her father when, when the father says, I forbid you from going you know, back east with this guy. What does she say? I've been afraid of you my whole life. She became congruent. She was on the inside, is now on the outside, and I'm going to put action to that. And even though that is difficult... There's a level of peace. 
I want us to, I want us, me, I want you to be able to find that and have that available for you because I don't think, I don't think the world offers that as much as it wants to. I want you to find hope. Back to that hope thing again. I want you to know, even if things don't get better circumstantially, my internal experience can be much better. And I can be at peace. I can be restful with that. Hope, oops, hope begins with trust. This is tough. This is hard. This is not as easy as I wish it was. That's why um, I'm devoting week three to this topic. Week three is all about how trauma has affected faith development, how, how it is actually harder to trust when you have an abuse or an addiction or a trauma history. It shapes your faith development. So we're gonna be talking about that on week three. But I want you to be able to have hope, but it begins with trust. Here's what I mean by that. I have four kids. I have four kids at home. And when they were all very, very little, and for those of you who have kids at home as well, there are many, many times when our children are very, very young when we ask them or expect them to do things that they do not want to do. Horrible things like going to bed at a decent hour or taking a bath or wearing clothes in public. <laughs> Horrible things that parents ask kids to do. And most little kids do what? Scream, fight, throw a fit, push back, squirm, all of this stuff. They do not like it. We make them do things like brush their teeth and get shots so that they stay healthy. And that causes little bits of pain. But as parents, our motivation is typically love and care and concern. But as parents, can we, is it even possible to explain to a two-year-old now here's what penicillin does, and here's why I'm having you get a shot. Trying to explain is, 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 is a waste of time. And so instead, we simply take actions, we take steps with, with the best intent. We have the, we have the best interest in mind for our children, even if our children don't experience it that way. And I'm gonna suggest that that paradigm, that model, is oftentimes the relationship we have with God. I think that's why, even in scripture, they use familial terms rather than contractual terms, okay? Our relationship with God is in a contract. If you do so many good things at such and such time and execute it by this date, then therefore I will, I will compensate you and this and this and this, that's contractual. Scripture is, he is our heavenly father. We are his children. He loves us as a father loves his children. He sacrifices the way that I, as a parent, would sacrifice for my children. The familial terms means sometimes God is doing things in our lives personally. Let's even take it out of the scope of society in general, but when he's speaking to our own pain and we have no idea what is happening and why we're going through it, God is going, just because you are experiencing pain does not mean I have forgotten you. And there might be, there might be um, a, a result. The, the process itself might, might be redemptive, changing in some way. I know it's hard, but I have your best interest in mind, and that requires trust 
on our part. Starting point to answer the question of why God. Here's what I think God says to us. I am refining you, but it's going to be difficult. I still love you and have your best interest in mind, but it's not going to be easy. Will you trust me? I'm not going to tell you how it's going to end, so you cannot give your consent. Ouch. In a postmodern world, that statement right there is difficult to reconcile. And yet I don't think God asks us, Paul, what should I do? He doesn't ask that. Because again, do I ask my children? You're two years old. I, I, I should probably do something healthy for you. What should that be? Or I know what I'm going to do. I need to give you a, a, some booster shots here so you don't get sick. Do you agree? Do you think that's a good idea? They don't have the, they don't have the compass, compensation, compensation, they don't have the comprehension to even consent to that. So, so how can we consent to an all-knowing God? So he says, I'm not going to tell you how it's going to end, so you cannot give your consent. You wouldn't understand or agree anyway. I'm asking you to trust me wholly and completely. Trust. It's not easy. Because I can see more than you can, I know what needs to be done, and I love you. That right there, that's a powerful statement to sit in. And again, I know that the trust piece is difficult. You've got to wait till week three to wrestle with that. But I think it's an important thing to wrestle with. I think it's essential to wrestle with. All right. We can grieve without losing hope. We can go through hard things and not lose hope. We can be angry and not lose hope. We can be scared and not lose hope. Last year that I went through, in the midst of it, I'm going, I want out, I want out, I want out. Almost a year out of it now, I wouldn't trade it. Now, I also wouldn't wish it on any of you. But because I had to go through it, I've seen how it's refined me, how it's shaped me. I've got scars from it, okay? I got scars. Scars aren't, op aren't open wounds, okay? I heal. We are designed to heal. What I don't want you to walk away with tonight, here's something really, really important. God is in control, so you shouldn't be hurting. Not going to ask anyone that because I, I, I don't think I could sell that. I just don't think that that's going to work. How about um, if you're hurting, it's your fault. I do not believe that. I believe many of you are here, have experienced pain, and has nothing to do with your choices. So I'm not saying that if you're hurting, it's your fault. If you're struggling, it's your fault. That's not what I'm saying in this series. Trusting that God is in charge means I should be happy in my pain. We're human beings. Pain creates sorrow and sadness and frustration and fear and disappointment and swear words and, and overeating and, and cookie dough and all these things. <laughs> and we can still think that God is in charge and we can still hurt and we don't have to be happy. I think scripture is incredibly clear that that's not what Christ even went through. Christ wasn't happy all the time. Postmodern impact really, really quick. Um, 
Counseling is influenced by a postmodern mindset. I want to put something into the room for me and actually my profession, okay? And here's something I do want you to walk away with. Modern counseling is actually encouraged um, to espouse or, or, or promote a postmodern approach. They say, let the client come in. I've been trained, I got two master's degrees in counseling, and both of them said, when the, when the client comes in, the client sets the goals, the client tells you what they want, and it's your job to help them realize whatever they want. I, as a counselor, I, as a counselor who happens to also be a believer, see that there's actually some problems in that, in that mindset because sometimes what the client actually wants is actually non-beneficial for them, actually will create more pain both for themselves and their society and their family around them. And so as a counselor, is it my job to, to promote that? Some people have actually turned to counseling for answers rather than a faith system, rather than the church, rather than God, rather than Christianity, rather than other believers, because they go to church and they're tired of being told what you're doing is wrong. They're tired of being told that's a sin, stop it. And so because the church comes at it from a objective truth kind of way, they say counseling kind of has a better feel to it and I can explore what I want to explore over here. And I want, to, I want to say really, really clearly, um, counseling and faith are not mutually exclusive. I believe that there is incredibly good counselors who can also help you find truth that is based in an objective um, reality that is congruent with a faith system. I think that that is possible. And I actually think it helps you become healthier overall. Now, this isn't, this isn't a, a commercial for counseling. This is a commercial for the struggle that I hear probably in every other client who comes in my door, which is the church has hurt me in this way, or a pastor has hurt me in this way, or I'm tired, my faith is being shaken. I'm, ex I'm tired of, of Christianity, or I don't know what God wants. And, and so, again, that pain creates real questions, real questions within, within ourselves in the midst of pain. And, and because I've heard so often that the church has not always done a great job sitting in that pain with people, I want to actually redeem that for some folks. I want there to be both a, a healthy therapeutic approach and a healthy faith-based approach. And I think the two are not mutually exclusive. They can be combined beautifully. One of my favorite things about refuge is they try to do that well. You're sitting in a church right now. I don't know if you're aware of that, but this is actually a church. It has a faith system. It has a value system that is placed on it already. And yet, I still think you can find help and hope and healing here. But you have to challenge. You have to be aware of what your belief system is. So, I very intentionally am going to be challenging the postmodern approach. This, my truth is my truth. Okay. I want, us, I want you to know, are you playing football, Calvin ball, or chess? I want you to know where you sit. And where you sit right now, great. Know where that is, and then are you willing to have some dialogue with other people who might be sitting in a different worldview? Because that might be a really, really interesting conversation. I think that might be really fantastic. Okay, wow. 
I had to put that in there for myself. Did I tell you that I was a little nervous doing this one? Can you feel it? Where we're going in this series, and then we'll be done. Week uh, two, happiness and your expectations of God. We're going to uh, allude to that last time of, is happiness the ultimate source of truth, or, or what are expectations of God? Uh, again, week three, how trauma, abuse, or addiction impacted your faith development. Week four, what to do when church, faith, God, religion, or spirituality get in the way of actually feeling better. That's a theme I see a lot. What to do when you're angry at or doubting God. That's a very real, very legitimate thing, and um, some people actually are terrified to explore those feelings. Because number one, anger by itself is just nothing you're not, you're never allowed to be angry. And if you're angry at Almighty God, you are, that's major taboo. But yet, I think God probably can handle our anger. Just like me as a parent, when my son, when he's two year olds, is mad at me and kicking and squirming and trying to get away from me, I just hold him tighter. I'm pretty, it doesn't really hurt me. I can handle it. Week six, the power of gratitude. Truly, truly one of the most simple and yet the most powerful, powerful ways of making a shift in how we see this world and the expectations we place on it and how we move through pain. Um, remarkable stuff around gratitude. And then week seven, um, that's kind of the big conversations, Q&A, and everything else I didn't get to in my notes. So I kind of catch up that week. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.